Hello, 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 and welcome to the fourth episode of Season 7 of Law & Candor, the podcast wholly devoted to pursuing the legal technology revolution. I'm Bill Mariano, here with my partner in crime, Rob Hellowell, and we are excited to have you with us today, as always. Before we dive into the guest speaker portion of the program, with another fantastic female thought leader, Jamie Brown, one of our favorite people in the world, we first want to bring you some of the portion of the program you know and love, it's our favorite. Sightings of radical brilliance. This, of course, is the part of the show where we bring to you the latest news of noteworthy innovation and acts of sheer genius. Today, we bring to you a Forbes magazine article, Why Diversity in AI is So Important. Rob, this was interesting. This is timely. This goes right with the, the theme of our season. And man, reading this article, it, it's, it was pretty eye-opening as to where we're going with this whole AI revolution with regard to gender bias. Yeah. And, you know, the premise, of course, is that, you know, AI is only as good as the people that create it. And if 90 plus percent of the people creating it are men, it's going to carry some inherent bias to it. And that's going to come out in the things that it's predicting. It explains why my computer never reminds me that my anniversary is coming up and, and many, many other things. But like, you know, it just it really makes a lot of sense. And in the article, it says that over, you know, 80 percent of AI professors um, are men. You know, and even at big, you know, technology companies like Facebook, you know, only 15, you know, I think to 10 percent of researchers are women. And clearly uh, this is something that, you know, th this is just like that typical AI thing that goes wrong. And uh, it, it, it's really a timely article, I think. It's incredible, right? Because you would think, you know, we, we're going from this, uh, you know, the quote unquote all boys club. Uh, in technology, you would think that that would be somewhat neutralized as technology takes over. Thought leadership process is driven more by AI. But if that AI is being programmed, for lack of a better word, by men, uh, that AI will have the same gender biases as the men that are programming it. It's just it's, it's something I, I don't think I've ever thought of. Um, but when you stop and think about it, it makes intuitive sense. And frankly, it's an issue that has to be addressed. And, and it goes deep, you know, because like this, you know, this starts early. You know, if if it, the STEM majors, you know, are again, you know, still being kind of dominated by men. I, I know it's not as bad as it once was, but there's still a long way to go. Like all of that will filter up. You know, those are the people that are going to be graduating. They're going to be starting, you know, in these jobs and then they're going to get more senior and more senior. Clearly, um, it's just something there, there are a lot of examples of when AI kind of goes wrong, not specifically because of this issue, but be, because of some flaw you know, that isn't caught and that just biases it in one direction. And, you know, again, clearly this is just a, a great example yeah. of that. Um, I, I, th I think that, you know, look, the good news is it's identified as a problem now. I think in the grand scheme of AI, we are still in the early infancy of how this is taking over our lives. I know we're starting to see it a lot more, uh, but hopefully identifying this problem at this stage and, uh, you know, adjusting uh, so that it is a more gender neutral or more than just gender neutral, just that it, both points of view are programmed into AI. I think it will, we could start to see some changes in the issues that, that, that surround this more quickly. It would be worse if we didn't identify this problem now. So interesting read. Check it out. It's on Forbes. Um, I think, let me check it out. It was uh, Maria Claw, K-L-A-W-E. I apologize, Maria, if I butchered your name there. Really interesting article published on uh, July 16th of last year. Check it out. Forbes.com has it. Interesting article, interesting times we live in, an interesting issue uh, that AI is facing. 
Well, and now Bill had mentioned before that we really uh, are just pleased to have one of our favorite people, Jamie Brown from Lighthouse, to discuss how to keep up with M365 software updates, which in itself is just a fascinating topic. And also, of course, you know, giving her perspective and her advice on how other female leaders can thrive in our industry in celebration of Women Histories Month. Check out the interview and thanks for staying with us. Welcome to the guest portion of our podcast today. We're here with one of our favorite people, Jamie Brown from Lighthouse, and we'll be talking about keeping up with M365 software updates. Can you give us an idea of how did you find yourself in this crazy e-discovery industry? Everybody has a unique story about this, and we'd love to hear yours. Sure. Well, I started my career uh, a little over 20 years ago as a litigation associate in big law. And like most first year associates, I got my start doing document review. uh, And I had the honor, and I'll put honor in quotes, of being tapped to support this massive document review for a pharma client who was facing federal and state investigations. And uh, over the course of this doc review, we spent about six months working at the client site to collect documents, which we then scanned into to PDF and, and reviewed. And in the beginning, it was in paper format and then later in some first generation tool. And uh, and then later I supported e-discovery efforts. So it wasn't very glamorous, but it certainly was a, a good foundation for understanding the ins and outs of the discovery process and cost containments and, and really was uh, in some ways very characteristic of the early years of what would later become e-discovery. When I was doing that, uh, I told my mom I was actually writing Supreme Court briefs. But yeah, I was I was also in that same room. Reviewing my, mo- documents. my mom still thinks I'm writing Supreme Court briefs. Um, you know, Jamie, the, this topic that we're talking about today, which, you know, uh, just around Microsoft and how prolific they are with rolling out updates every day. Th- I have to say this probably comes up more than any other topic when I'm talking to a client because e- either they don't know about it. They don't know about the changes that are being made because they, they don't keep up with them themselves or they know about it and they're intimidated by it. And they just sort of go with what they have and they don't try to learn anything. So what are the challenges that legal departments are faced with now when their companies are just totally embracing and are invested in Microsoft 365? Yeah, well, the first one you really hit on, which is just the sheer volume of updates. And it it can truly be overwhelming. I think we, when we were first kind of starting to take a look at this um, a little over a year ago, uh, in one particular two-week period, there was something like 900 updates. So uh, that's not something you can quickly skim through and and figure out, you know, which ones are or are not pertinent to to e-discovery. So there's really no way to tell unless somebody does that work and and reviews the updates and understands enough about e-discovery or your process to really know for sure. So definitely managing the volume would be kind of number one. Uh, The second challenge, I'd say if I had to categorize these or limit these to three, would just be that some features and feature changes really create new data sources. And those data sources might become subject to e-discovery, which means someone might need to preserve that data or collect that data. So there needs to be uh, some kind of process change or modification. Uh, And many, many customers just don't have a way to, to manage that today. It's certainly different than what we've ever had to do in e-discovery before. Uh, and the third challenge is that some of the feature changes really require that you change your process for preservation or collection, not necessarily because new data sources are, are being created, but just because there's some kind of impact. So for example, um, a feature update 
might change the underlying location of where that data is stored, right? If you don't know about that, then your downstream teams can't uh, preserve or collect that data because they're not looking in the right place. Uh, another example would be certain uh, scripts that automate processes. The, those scripts uh, maybe are executing tasks for preservation or collection. And again, um, if they're automated tasks, the scripts need to be updated to make sure they ec- execute properly. So th- those are just a couple of examples um, at a high level if I had to summarize the top. And Jamie, when when you have a product like M365 that is being used by sometimes, you know, everyone in the company and it's rolling out hundreds of updates, you know, potentially a week, what kind of legal and compliance risk does that create for a company? Well, cloud technology just generally is is dynamic in nature, meaning that it's it's constantly continuously changing. And the technology as the technology changes, so must the process for preserving and collecting data. And at a, on a fundamental level, it's just, again, not something anybody in e-discovery has ever had to do. You know, a long time ago, you'd get a new tool maybe, and you'd use the tool, you'd figure out how it worked, you'd build the process, you'd roll it out, and you'd use the tool until it either died, you know, or something better came along. But they're really, once you had something great, you didn't do anything to modify it unless it was broken. That's certain. That's very different now. And cloud technology, this dynamic nature of it is is sort of fundamentally uh, changing the way that we think about process or we think about documentation. If you have to change something continuously, you might not put as much effort into documenting it the same way, right? So, um, you know, the other thing I'll point out is that the vast majority of these updates will not impact legal and compliance teams, um, but a small percentage could. Uh, again, at our last count, we estimate about 5% of the changes tend to require some or pose some kind of e-discovery impact. Doesn't mean it's massive, but might be something that just warrants a review or a communication to, to an e-discovery team. It might uh, require some kind of education or minor tweak to the process. Again, nothing revolutionary but something that people should know about. So if legal and compliance teams don't have a way to account for these changes, then there's a risk that the process they're adhering to isn't adequate. Yeah, it's funny because, you know, you say only about 5%, but 5% could be a lot with the amount of things that are rolling out for Microsoft, especially if you're just completely unaware. Like you said, they might not be life-changing. They might not screw up your whole process. You might not have to redo your operating model, certainly. But if you're not aware of them, like you said, where the data is stored or how the data is being stored or how the data is being searched and what it's limited to, those are certainly things that will impact the legal department, e-discovery team. So, we like to leave the listeners, and when I say the listeners, I mean my mom with best practices. And you know, my mother knows nothing about Microsoft 365, but if maybe you know, you could help her. I'll put you in touch. But if she, if her first primer is to listen to this podcast, what are some of the best practices that we tell clients? Um, should they have somebody whose job it is to do this? Is that even a job, or is this something that you should outsource? So you really have two two options. Option one would be to hire somebody or task somebody within the organization whose job it is to review these updates and assess them for impact. And if they can't, at first blush, determine the impact to uh, research the feature and do some internal testing. And once that impact assessment, if you will, is made, they need to then consider how to operationalize that change 
to the extent uh, some kind of modification is required, right? So it's either option one would be to to task somebody internally. Option two would be to outsource it. But at the end of the day, uh, the recommendation that that we give to clients is is really twofold. They need to have a framework for keeping their legal and compliance programs that rely on M365 in whatever fashion that is, they have to do that in a way that can keep it current. And that process, at a minimum, needs to involve some review of updates, some assessment of risk or potential impact, and some consideration of how that change can be accounted for. Um, The next advice is really to make sure that there's a broader governance framework in place because the decisions that somebody makes in the business about how a platform should be configured, that has a downstream impact on e-discovery. It might have an impact on privacy. It might have an impact on records teams. And so there's this interoperability uh, within the platform that, again, is very unique and very different. And if you don't have a governance framework, and by that, I I really mean a cross-functional type of committee or structure to discuss these issues, discuss the impact uh, on one another, then it's very difficult to collectively make the right decision um, moving forward. And Jamie, based on the, you know, the advice and the you know, interaction that you're having with with customers who are dealing with this. What other what other recommendations are you giving people to to stay out of trouble? One recommendation that we give around this concept of maintenance is to consider maintenance early. Don't think about maintenance at the end, which uh, on some level seems uh, you know contradictory to to the way we think about it. You think about maintaining after everything's perfect. When you put your M365 process or operating model in place, uh, it's never really finished. It's constantly evolving and changing. And so the sooner you can think about how you will keep it current, you know, the better off you'll be. It actually will help you continuously improve and fine tune your process going forward. The second really relates to what I mentioned earlier about governance frameworks. Uh, Most larger companies do have some kind of change program that they can tap into. There's always something that can be leveraged. Even smaller companies will have some kind of maybe information governance committee, or maybe they have a M365, uh, you know, project committee. There's something to leverage, but it's usually still not enough to accommodate this kind of, um, this kind of change management, if you will, around the platform, but it's something to start from. And so the, the recommendation would be to take what you've got and dust it off and think about how you could use something like that to, to evolve it and, and really serve as the foundation for what will be your governance framework, uh, to maintain ultimately what you're likely building now. Jamie, I could, you know, every time I talk to you about this stuff, I, I learn something and I'm being honest about that. I thank you for doing this. Really appreciate it. One last question. We have uh, in this entire season's being dedicated to Women's History Month. So we added a question at the end of the podcast that we've been asking all of our guests. Um, and that is, you know, what advice would you give other women in the e-discovery industry? Because, you, you know, what we've noticed is, and I don't think you got to be a genius to notice this. It really was an old boys club. I mean, I've been in the industry since 05. Rob's been in it since uh, 
1837. And, you know, but we've seen a lot, we've seen a lot of changes in the industry. But one thing that we've seen, I think in the last five years is women rising to really prominent positions of power that just didn't exist 15 years ago. Um, It just didn't seem like that anyway. It seemed like it was an all boys club. And so you sort of lived through that and pushed your way to the top of the industry. And, you know, you're in a position of power now within the industry with, you know, and and, and like a, a known brand in the industry, not to blow your head up too much, but people look up to you in this industry. So do you feel like you've seen that happen? And do you, do you sort of take pride in, um, uh, or, or seek out, you know, women that you see in the industry that may come to you for advice? And do you sort of, do you feel like incumbent upon yourself to sort of relay some advice to them, um, in light of the fact that, you know, you've, you've gone through it? Uh, so first of all, thanks for, for those kind words. I appreciate that. I'm not sure all of that is completely 100% accurate, but um, I'll take the compliment. Um, the, the one piece of advice uh, somebody gave me a long time ago that I uh, really resonated with me was really around mentorship and finding good mentors. And in my younger years, I used to think that that had to be about a certain person, you know, somebody who was really invested in you or maybe somebody whose career you really wanted to emulate in full or who would take you under their wing and, you know, really nurture your career year after year. I never really had that per se, but I had wonderful mentors along the way. And by that, I mean people who did invest in me and did care. And I really sought their guidance or their counsel on specific things. So I think mentors can come in many forms and most of mine uh, were men actually because of just the time that that I kind of grew up in really uh, from a professional standpoint. So I, I'm really grateful for that and I do try to to give that back. I still continue to seek out mentors and, and just really think it's important to um, just find people whose careers uh, in, in whatever form that 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 comes or that you find are interesting, or maybe they've, you know, done a a particular or known for something particular, or they have, you know, something special about them that you find interesting and just use that opportunity to really ask them about it. Let them know you're interested, you know, ask people to shadow them, ask, invite people to lunch, learn from them. Um, And yeah, I try to to do a little bit of of that as well, not only to, to women, but really to anybody who's, who's kind of coming up, coming up the ranks or looking to grow in this space. Jamie, we, we knew this would be a great episode and, and you didn't disappoint. We just want to thank you again. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And maybe just to sum up a couple key points, um, there's no doubt that M365 and you know the constant flood of updates is creating some potential challenges for people out there. And we know that uh, these changes can potentially cause legal and compliance risks if you don't know about these updates and you're not taking action to, uh, to address them. As far as best practices, definitely hire someone, or if you don't hire someone internally, rely on an expert. Someone that can act like a compass to keep you pointed in the right direction so you don't get lost in the cloud. And of course, stay focused on maintenance. Uh, And finally, I thought your advice about um, mentoring was great, and I'm sure that it'll be appreciated by many people. Uh, Jamie, thanks again. We love you, and it's, it's great to have you. Thank you for picking up the microphone and strapping on the headphones and for joining us on the podcast. We appreciate it. Thank you. Right about now, you're probably asking yourself, what do I have in common with Bill's mom? I I get it. And the jokes are probably flowing, but you do have something in common. You are a fan of this podcast. If you are a fan like my mom, be sure to rate us, subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe, rate us, leave a review, leave a topic uh, that you'd like to see us address. We really appreciate all the support. And uh, we'll be checking it out. I appreciate it. Thanks, everyone.